Hi, you're listening to Perpetual Learning. I'm Manjula Salvaraja. Hey, Manjula, and I'm Sudan Siva. On this episode, we'll unpack a piece Tim Urban wrote um, a while ago, actually, 2015, and it was about how Elon Musk thinks. It's part part of this must-read series that he that he wrote about Musk, and uh, this one in particular that that Sudan looked at in his newsletter looks at Chef versus cook thinking. Of course, we know create recipes from scratch. There are people whose restaurants we, we like to eat at because we think that they are, they are innovative in some way. Uh, but then cooks are people like me who follow instructions that are laid out for them. And this will be the prism to examine, um, this idea of thinking from first principles, not just when we talk about problems, but just about how we approach um, other things in our life, like businesses we may start, entrepreneurial uh, ventures we want to participate in, or even the kind of work that we do. And uh, now I've dropped a lot of words here, so so let's just get into it. Um, let's start here at a very high level. So then can you give us a sense of what uh, Tim does in this series? Yeah, I think, I mean, he gives a framework on how folks and creators like Elon Musk think and really what it takes to be a true creator, right? And and I think, you know, it really boils down to the reasons why we stopped asking ourselves why. And even, you know, when we do ask ourselves why, you know, we rarely go through the process of trying to figure out the answers ourselves. We tend to use heuristics. We tend to you know, Google it and, or use, you know, other people's words as kind of the answer versus truly trying to figure it out ourselves. And, you know, that differentiation can lead to, you know, people becoming, you know, a so-called cook um, versus a true chef. And, and I think that to me is at least the biggest takeaway from this series. The, the blog piece that you've picked is, is one titled Chef versus Cook Thinking. Uh, I certainly recommend that people read the whole thing, but let's pick up on a, on a few pieces. Um, I touched on that cook versus chef thinking, but make the connection for us. What is, uh, cook versus chef thinking? Yeah, I'd say the best way I look at it at least is, you know, it's the difference between copying, following what others do versus truly going through the effort of knowing what's going on, going through the iterations of developing that internal understanding. And so it really requires this scientific or scientist approach because you're constantly going through experimentation, kind of looking at the results, looking at the feedback, adjusting your approach. And that process of learning is how you develop that internal understanding. Now, you can Google it. You can perhaps copy what others say and take that shortcut. However, in that process, you tend to skip over the opportunity to create your own process, right? And and that's where I think there's a clear delineation between someone who, you know, Tim Urban w- would define as a cook versus, you know, a chef. You know, you, you've talked about this idea of, of thinking from 
from first principles, we've known for a while that, or people have said for a while, and I think Elon Musk has said this himself, that, that this is how he thinks. This is how he describes himself as well. It's, it's something that is taught in a, uh, a lot of sort of, um, science and engineering programs as well as a, as a way to approach problems where you, where you sort of take it down to the, to the most basic um, description of the problem, and then you search for knowledge, right? But but we don't think this way. We don't think like scientists. Where do we go wrong? I think it's, you know, the moment essentially where we stop asking why and, and really, like I said, going through the heuristics, taking shortcuts to get to the next step. And, you know, it's through no one's fault in particular, because a lot of times people are, are working in a rush and efficiency has become more valued than I'd say, you know, in times in the past. And so, you know, in, in the you know idea of trying to improve efficiency, the best way to do that is to actually copy and follow what others are doing versus trying to create your own way. Now, you know, over time, however, you know, you lose the ability to create. And I think, you know, for example, the way we manage education also plays a factor here because you're constantly being trained on, you know, getting to the right answer versus trying to figure it out yourself. So essentially you're working towards a specific outcome versus improving this process of constantly asking why, experimenting, getting feedback, adjusting your approach and learning that way. And so those are two very different approaches. And one, you know, in the short term could get you to the right answer. The other kind of builds this habit of creating, which, you know, down the line, obviously could be far more valuable, um, especially if you think about the compounding effects of that. Well, it's interesting because um, I wonder if a little bit of it is that taking that that path most followed, um, you know, the path that people describe describe as, oh, well, this is the way it's always been done or, or this is, you know, this is the way that we do things around here is some of the descriptors that you would use around this path. I wonder mm-hmm. if, if, if following such a path, um, is easier because it's managed, run and entrenched with people that are already following the path. So the rewards lie in following that path, the immediate rewards. Mm-hmm. Right. They might not be great rewards, but the immediate rewards align that path. Meanwhile, kind of stepping back could actually be described as being harder. Um, do you think though that stepping back and thinking, um, outside of that most followed path, um, possibly has more rewards? Absolutely. I think and I mean, Elon Musk and, you know, several other creators are an example of that, right? Because, you know, in the early stages, you're right. I think, you know, taking the path most followed does yield more benefit because you're going, you know, people who kind of take a different path need to go through those initial rounds of, you know, failure or learning before, you know, hopefully getting to a path that works and and works in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so, if you look at, you know, what creates asymmetric returns, of course, you know, over the long term, you know, a different path could lead to that outcome. However, in the short term, absolutely, it's more difficult. There's more social pressure to kind of take the path most followed. And, you know, only a few folks I'd imagine are built for that, right? It, it does take a certain amount of courage 
um, a certain level of support around them to actually go down that path. What do you think we're losing out on um, when it comes to um, solving problems and new ideas by not thinking this way? I mean, you know, you essentially lose the ability to actually create new solutions, right? And, and, you know, the best we can do, and we often see this, are modifications to existing ideas, right? So, you know, take, you know, any industry as an example, especially that, you know, one that's more legacy or older or, or perhaps more archaic, right? You know, healthcare, education, financial services, whatever the case might be. And, you know, there's two different paths. There's one path where people are trying a completely different approach. And there's this other path where people are just modifying existing ideas. And, and you know, it, it is very difficult to constantly modify existing solutions and ideas and hope for a drastically different outcome. Wow. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, perhaps... And other people have said this in other times, but I certainly think we are, uh, we are at a point where we could use this kind of thinking because I think that we are facing, um, sort of, I, you know, this, um, you know, this, I've said this to you before that I've been doing a lot of thinking about climate change and reading about climate change. So I feel like if there is a time for this kind of thinking, People now would be it. Um, uh, certainly, uh, I think we could use this across so many, so many different aspects of, of the way that we approach thinking about climate change and the problems related to it. How do we, how then do we get out of this cycle of, of thinking like a cook? How can we, how can we change the way that we think now? I think, I mean, it comes down to truly realizing that no one, including yourself or myself, really know, really knows anything. And, you know, you're best served by finding out the facts yourself. And so once you've sorted through the facts, it's really important not to be afraid to try out new things and expand what's possible in the box of reality, right? And, and I think that's where, you know, the really good creators kind of differentiate themselves because you know, a lot of times they think of ideas that, you know, seem logical after thinking through it, but at the time just don't exist within, you know, the box of reality for most people, right? And so, again, really going through that realization that no one knows anything for sure, and <laughs> you're able to kind of, you know, figure it out yourself and, and believe in yourself, kind of have that um, internal fortitude, I think, uh, is really important to break out of this cycle of cook thinking. So in a way, I mean, if you come back to Elon Musk again, it's the idea that when someone says, no, we can't reuse rockets, you kind of go, but why? Right? Exactly. Exactly. Are you practicing this in your life every day? Uh, if so, how are you doing it? Well, I try to. I, I, I'm definitely not perfect at it, uh, or, or anywhere close to it. But, you know, I think for me, in, in, instead of relying on others to understand the why, I, I do try to go through the effort of figuring it out myself. I think this newsletter is a piece of that. Um, it is a bit more time consuming. So it's not something, unfortunately, that I do all the time or as much as I want to do, but it does help me understand why I need to do something versus just following orders or 
following what other people do, right? Um, however, the easy route I find is always following others or, or following a heuristic. But at the same time, the more you ask yourself why, the you know, the better the result, at least, you know, in my life ends up being. It's interesting. You know, this might also be, you know, a good point to think about which battles you choose for the whys, right? Um, so I think, you know, my daughter recently asked me, well, why she had to wear formal wear to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, teenage angst, probably like, I don't want to wear this and why do I have to? And, uh, and I found myself saying, well, this is what we do. And I had to sit down with her and say, like, you got to choose your battles. This may not be what you want to overturn in life. Right. Like if you're going to bring radical thinking to something, it's not on, should I wear, be forced to wear formal wear to a wedding by my mother? Right. It needs to be. So, you know, that could be the other thing that, that, that where we choose the wise to ask the wise are sort of these really um, important things for our lives and, and the lives of other people. You know, you've mentioned the newsletter. So I have to ask you, I've been wanting to ask you this for, first of all, years are, you know, since you started this newsletter and ever since we started chatting every podcast we have, I feel like asking you this because, because we now do the podcast together. I read your newsletter in, in more depth. You know, I'm just curious. Um, I, I want to talk about your reading habit. Your, when I look at the reads that you do, they are from all over the place. And every time I open your newsletter, I think, how much does this guy read and where does he find these reads? Like, how, how do you, I, I, let's talk about curating your reads because I, I want to learn from you here. First of all, how do you find these reads? Yeah, I'd say I, I curate them over time, right? So, you know, Twitter to me is a, a very good inspiration. Usually people are sharing either ideas or actual articles for me to read. And so either digging deeper into those ideas or reading those articles are always interesting. And then I think over time, you kind of build this database of just interesting articles and interesting reads. So it's not something that I'd say happens over a day or or over a week. It's more so over time, you just bookmark and have this kind of database of interesting reads and ideas that, you know, every week you're you're able to kind of select one and, and go deeper. Right. And, and so it, at that point, it's a matter of, okay, how much time do I have? And then, you know, selecting an appropriate topic or article and then, uh, you know, essentially reflecting on that, synthesizing that, whatever the case might be. How do you minimize, um, running into nonsense reads then? Like in a way, how do you, how do you, how do you get better at getting to brilliant reads? Because you seem to, I'm, I'm sure you highlight the best ones that you've read, but regardless, how do you kind of narrow that funnel down so you don't get as many nonsense reads? Yeah, I think it, to an extent it is, I, I tend to like order older articles versus newer ones. I think just generally speaking, information quality was a lot better, let's say five, 10, 15, 20 years ago versus now. Um, and then also just, you know, following the right people. I think, you know, whether in any specific domain, there's always people who are kind of in their own rabbit hole and, and they tend to kind of share interesting reads, interesting ideas that are always worth digging into. And so to me, it's a combination of the both. So it tends to be older stuff um, when possible. And then also 
you know, the more obscure it is, or, or perhaps, um, yeah, I mean, the more reputable the person is, not necessarily from a credibility perspective, but just has a history mm-hmm. of sharing interesting stuff. I think those are usually my way of uh, filtering out, you know, nonsense reads or low value reads versus uh, the really good ones. I'm just so glad I got you to say nonsense reads as opposed <laughs> to low value. Uh, how much time do you spend reading every week? Yeah, it's it's hard to tell. I don't put a specific hour amount on it. It's you know, it's no different to me than you know scrolling on any social media feed uh, as an example. So mm. I don't know. It, it probably ends up being an hour a day or or a few you know a few hours a week, really depending on on the week and how work is going. Okay. Um, so it you know to me it's just more of a constant habit of browsing the internet whenever I'm free. Um, not with the intent of looking for articles, but just reading interesting stuff, saving the ones that might look interesting, and then double clicking when I have free time, which tends to be the weekend. Do you so then make a point of um, ensuring that your that your social media isn't like your time on social media isn't wasted on updates and is instead spent on acquiring knowledge? I think there's a really do you know what I'm asking you? Like there's a really fine difference. Yeah, I'm not much of a poster, I guess, on social media. I don't really share stuff or put out updates. So yeah, I, I think from that perspective, you know, Twitter for me is really just a way of interacting with interesting people and or just reading interesting stuff. I, I don't really care as much about posting. And then, you know, when it comes to, uh, when, when it comes to other social media platforms like Instagram or Facebook, you know, trying to minimize that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I find very little value on those platforms. How has this, this sort of, um, I guess, you know, reading sort of profound thought pieces, how has it changed you uh, at work? Yeah, I'd say it's hard to pinpoint any one area where it's helped me at work, I'd say. However, I just find myself being more aware and knowledgeable around topics that I'm interested in, which are very closely aligned to what I do for a living as well. So whether it's investing, entrepreneurship, um, or even particular political issues, just knowing that at a deeper level than what I would otherwise know, I think has helped me, um, you know, build a better connection with what I do at work and the people I interact with at work. So from that perspective, I think it's changed how I approach work and, and you know, what I've been able to do there. It's interesting. I think, um, you know, there's something to be said for this. And I know it's such a part of you that I, that I don't think you understand, like, because I see it as actually kind of one of your, um, you know, superhero skills, um, because I think different people have different things that, that they're extremely good at. And, uh, I think, this is one of those things that I know I classify a lot of things as people tell me I classify a lot of things as working out, but this is like working out where, um, and I'm not talking about working out so I can run a marathon. This I'm, you know, I'm talking about the general going two to three times a week for a couple of years. It's one of those things that, um, that, you know, five years, 10 years down the road leads to you having better eat ha- eating habits better sleeping habits and then five to sorry and then five to ten years down the road um there are a lot more health benefits but it's 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 so subtle on a daily basis 
that that it's really one of those things that kind of moves your arc a lot higher 10 years down the road, but you don't see it. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Totally. I think, you know, it is perhaps, you know, a lot of small, tiny actions each day, each week that, yeah. you know, could yield to a, you know, an outsized outcome. Absolutely. And I think that people need to figure out things like this at the workplace, because when you think about workplace strategies, this podcast is already getting really long, but I have to get this across. <laughs> the, uh, you know, when, when I think about people, you know, when people think about workplace strategies, what can I get better at? We also tend to think about very short term strategies, um, and, and strategies that we've heard other people use. And I think that it's very important again to maybe think very hard about, about something that you can do in little increments every um, week that is going to create that arc for you in five to 10 years. And sometime down the road. Um, so then let's do a, let's do a podcast on this where you and I find three or four other strategies that other people are using that, that create that increment that you don't notice, but you know, is going to change their career five, five. And I, I'm sure you and I can come up with a couple of different ones from our network yep. um, of things like this, but Hey, this was fascinating. Um, I just want to say for folks, by the way, just because I I've yapped so much on this because I loved the first <laughs> half of the, uh, the newsletter, but the second half of the newsletter has a bit on investing that I know people that have been watching um, their fa- falling stock portfolios in the last week may want to take a look at. So certainly um, look out for that. But uh, hey, great topic. So then uh, talk next week. Absolutely. Bye. See you.